Hello again, and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for the 31st of May, 2023. Happy uh, Wednesday. To, it just doesn't, maybe because Memorial Day took place so early, the numbers, I don't know, it seems like this month should give up the 31st. This it, Like Memorial Day should be the last, like the weekend is over. We got to rejigger the whole calendar. Anyway, welcome to the show. Appreciate you listening, downloading, sharing, telling a friend, all that good stuff. Don't forget about the Week in Effin' Review at patreon.com slash Podcast or derekhunter.locals.com. You can enter to win the contest. Uh, signed books. The contest this week is between an autographed book by Brian Kilmeade and an autographed book by NFL Hall of Famer Ray Lewis. Yeah, that's right. Somebody's got to win. Why not you? All you got to do, five bucks a month, for the love of God. It's not that much. Anyway, special edition of the program today. We are, uh, people always tell me since I left radio that, oh, I miss you having interactions with people. Well, I'm still working on finding the best way to do sort of uh, listener call in. Can't, uh, weird to call it that, but that's what it is. But instead, I thought I'd bring back probably the all time guest. Maybe up there with uh, either Chris, De- well, he's probably been on more than Chris DeGaulle and David Limbaugh, maybe even combined. It's Brian Darling. Yeah, significantly less famous, less important, and less handsome than all of those other guests put together, but a good man. How are you doing, Brian? Good. Well, there's something to be said for me being on more than them. That's uh, kind of a you know, <laughs> Just, something. Yeah, you're my booty call. Participation you're my, medal. You're my two o'clock, uh, two o'clock in the morning, nothing else is happening at the bar. I'll shoot PD a text kind of uh, guy. Anyway. I wanted to have you on because we are looking, it's a slow news week, first of all, but secondly, the Republican field is starting to fill in a little bit, and you have been involved in Republican and conservative politics for a very long time, and I wanted to get your take on how the field is shaping up right now and the potential people who may jump in. So for uh, the sake of brevity and getting right to the point, the Trump campaign, what is your assessment? And at this granted, it's, you know, what, six months, seven months before anybody votes, even in Iowa. But the assessment of where it stands and how it's going so far. Well, we can make this a short podcast and I can just say that Trump is a lock and it's his to lose <laughs> and we're done. Well, no, his being his to lose does not mean that he's a lock. Right. Right. A lock is he's got it and there's nothing he can do. His to lose means he could screw up. And if there's one thing all Republicans exceedingly are exceedingly good at, it is stepping on a field of rakes. I agree. I mean, I think it's his to lose now. He's obviously way ahead. He's got a huge uh, his level of support is not going anywhere. The, The supporters of Donald Trump are not going anywhere The only thing that could happen is he could go somewhere and that might change the nature of the election. I mean, if something happens with one of his court cases, that could throw a monkey wrench into it. But I think Ron DeSantis is a very strong candidate. I don't think any of the others have a chance. I don't think they have a snowball's chance in hell. But I do think that Donald Trump right now, I mean, he's way ahead. He's beating up uh, Ron DeSantis, calling him Ron DeSanctimonious, Ron DeSantis. And it's it's having... He's having an impact on DeSantis's 
popularity ratings, and that's his primary opponent right now. I mean, right now it is Donald Trump by a long shot. Well, thanks for coming on, and let's call it a day. No, I uh, I would agree with that, except for, you know, well, if the election were held today, not only would Donald Trump win, but everybody would be really surprised because the election doesn't start until next January, the nomination process. Uh, we all remember President Scott Walker from 2016. I don't even think he made it to 2016. Uh, we all remember Kamala Harris in 2020. We have... History is littered with people who spike the football on the five-yard line. Donald Trump is a little bit different. For some reason, a lot of people don't think of him as a politician. When you're president of the United States, sorry, you're a politician. By very definition, that's just how it is. And he's been in politics as, as much a state of mind as it is a job. And his, the way he's conducted himself his whole life professionally and personally has been that of a politician. So I, I just think that, look, Ron DeSantis, it may stick, it may not, but it uh, it's early. And I don't think that many people are paying attention. Donald Trump's in the news. Donald Trump is definitely being railroaded up in New York by the prosecutor there. That elicits a lot of sympathy. The Justice Department is applying double standards to him. And unless they've got something they haven't let on, they're definitely applying double standards to him. And that causes conservatives, more so than liberals, to rally around the flag. I don't know that I believe the 60% number in the Republican primary. I think that uh, his unwavering support is probably about 35 to 40%, which means that he is beatable just like he was beatable in 2016 if there weren't 75,000 other candidates in there. You can win in a field of 50 people or 15 people with 25% of the vote in a winner-take-all primary. So with that in mind, what do you make of the DeSantis launch? And what Did he wait too long? Is he doing as well as could be expected? You obviously don't think that he's got... He's, out gangbusters, but he raised a record amount of money in a short period of time that shows that there's somebody has an appetite for it. Well, I have an appetite for it. I like Ron, Ron DeSantis. I, I almost say Ron DeSantis. I can't help myself because I've heard it so many <laughs> times. But, you know, really quickly going back to Trump, the one thing he has that's a huge advantage is he's running as if he's an incumbent. He's a guy who was president. He's got that huge advantage of not incumbency, but kind of incumbency. The fact that he was there and he's running again, we don't have precedent for, for what's going on now. So that gives him a big advantage. Another big advantage is most of the candidates running against him have married themselves to the Trump presidency record. The fact that uh, he cut taxes, he got good Supreme Court nominees, he cut regulations. So you have all these candidates saying, wow, I love what Trump did when he was president, but I, I still think I'd do a better job as president that's really hard to do. Now, DeSantis has an advantage in that he's got a great record as governor of Florida. He can run on that. It's early. He does have a chance. I'm not saying he doesn't have a chance, but I'm saying that he's got a, he's the only one I think that has a chance to take Trump down, unless if Trump takes himself down, which is a possibility. But DeSantis's record in Florida, exceptional. 
He's starting to punch back against Donald Trump, which is the only way you can beat him. You can't just be a punching bag and make believe, oh, you know, I'm above all this. I'm not going to punch back. You have to punch back. And if he does punch back, he's got a fighting chance, but he's still at a huge disadvantage. So then let's get into the, well, I guess you call them also, I'd also call them also rants, at least at this point. Who in America not named Tim Scott wants Tim Scott to run for president? <laughs> Well, you know, Tim Scott, I've heard him speak, and he's a really exceptional Great story, awesome yeah. guy, and in, my God, you know, you'd, you'd want him to be your commanding officer in the trenches, but I'm not sure you'd follow him into the trenches to begin with. Right, and it ends there. I mean, he does take credit for writing the Trump tax cuts, but what's a compelling reason to vote for Tim Scott? There is no one. I mean, he's a, you know, he's a... Uh, a run-of-the-mill candidate when it comes to senators because he does not have you don't think tim scott what did he do x y and z you don't have anything you can tag him to to say wow look at all the great things he did as senator he hasn't he has not done anything that he can spike the football and say i did this i did that you know you can't take credit for the trump tax cuts because we call them the trump tax cuts they're not the <laughs> tim scott tax cuts so he's got a hard road because he doesn't have a a reason to vote for him over Trump. I mean, every candidate is going to need a reason to say, you need to vote for me because I will do a better job than Trump. You can't just say, I'm Tim Scott and I'm going to do the Trump tax cuts again. I'm going to do a lot of the things that Trump did, but I, you're going to like me better. That's not going to win him any votes. And he just does not have a compelling reason to get people to run out and vote. I know that he's gunning for the social conservatives, but he's not the only one. Mike Pence and Nikki Haley are all swimming in that same pool, and they're going to just divvy up all the social conservative voters. And in a weird way, the social conservatives are amongst some of the most faithful Trump supporters. Can you explain that one? Nope. <laughs> it's. I, I think that when you look at the, uh, you know, the Supreme Court nominations are a huge issue for social conservatives because of what's happened. You know, the promise that the court would bring more, more uh, change than we can get from Congress and we can even get from the executive branch. And it happened. I mean, the repeal of Roe versus Wade was a big deal. And Trump at times takes credit for that. At times he kind of walks away from a lot of the things the states are doing. But you know, he's still going to have that base of support, but he is losing a lot of social conservative support. I've, I've noticed a lot of a handful of evangelicals kind of taking a step back away from him. So but uh, ultimately, I don't think it matters all that much. I mean, remember when Trump won the presidency initially, he never he didn't even win Iowa. So he doesn't have to do that. No, no. He still grouses about having lost Iowa, too. He claims that was stolen to him. He's never actually legitimately lost anything. Uh, it's amazing. It's, a, it's an amazing track record right up there with, with Kim Jong-il's or uh, Il's, yeah, 36 or whatever he shot on 18 the first time he yeah. golf. Amazing. Um, let me ask you, on paper, probably the most impressive is Nikki Haley ambassador to the United Nations, successful governor, a, 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 a consistent track record of success. Now, you can argue that you don't care for the success, but we're not evaluating the quality of the success, we're talking about the actual success itself. But she hasn't really caught fire. I mean, for God's sakes, there's a possibility that she'll be surpassed in polling by Vivek Ramaswamy. 
So what what do you make of Nikki Haley, and why has is it just too early that she hasn't caught on yet, or is it indicative of something about her? I know she's running for vice president, or, or, or her campaign may be a kamikaze mission to take out DeSantis, because all she does is criticize DeSantis over and over and over again. She's not giving people, a, a, again, a compelling reason to vote for her, because she's constantly praising Trump, who she's running against, and then criticizes um, DeSantis. And how are you going to beat Trump if you're constantly defending him and supporting him? I just don't understand her her campaign at all. A campaign doesn't make any sense to me, but, you know, she's got a, a sliver of support. I don't know, 3%, 4%. She does. She's been running for a long time. She set up a think tank a long time ago to kind of get some ideas out there that must have helped her in some in some sense, but it's going to be, hey, I did a great job as governor of South Carolina. Well, there's another governor in the race who's a sitting governor now of Florida. You know, she's going to run as former ambassador of the UN. I don't know if that's going to fly. Nobody, conservatives aren't looking at a record at the UN saying, oh, what a great job she did there. No, I, I it is more of a uh, profile lifter cabinet post, because I don't know that if South Carolina's in play, then maybe Nikki Haley's up there. But if South Carolina's in that much play that you need to go to a candidate for VP, uh, then you've got bigger problems, I think, in the general election. Now we go to your candidate, a uh, guy you have openly endorsed, absolutely love, and uh, I believe you even have his, his name tattooed <laughs> on your lower back in a tramp stamp form. And that is, of course, former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson. <laughs> <laughs> is he running? Yeah, allegedly. Look, I, back when I was in college and the Clinton impeachment was happening, I really liked Asa Hutchinson. He, him, him and Lindsey Graham and uh, Jim, Jim Rogan. Jim Rogan, I really like. Sure. Were the house man part of the house management team making the case against Clinton? They were all over cable television. They were all excellent on it. Somewhere along the line, Rogan, the Democrats really targeted Rogan. He was in a vulnerable district anyway, so he didn't stand much of a chance. But uh, Lindsey Graham has been promoted to the Senate, and Asa Hutchison went on to be a, a two-term governor and is now running for president of the United States. But somewhere along the way. I don't know. These people, I get it, evolution and, and over time. Of, I used to support this. Now I've learned something new or life experience has happened. And now I think X, Y, or Z. I don't get, sort of, and I get people not liking Donald Trump. Half the time, I don't like Donald Trump. But you can't go and look at what Donald Trump's accomplishments were and say they're horrible because he did them when they are things that you'd said you'd wanted to do your whole life. Like, it, it doesn't make any sense other than it's petty jealousy or I don't know what the hell is. So who is the target? I, I guess Hutchison getting in sort of keeps Larry Hogan out but for the 2% of the primary voter lane. But I don't understand what he's even thinking. Well, he's trying to jump in the never Trump lane. You know, the, he's criticizing Trump constantly. He's one of those candidates, you know, we've seen that, you know, Governor Chris Sununu kind of dip his toe in the water. And we've seen a couple never Trump types dip their toe in the water, but he's actually running. And I think he's thinking his lane is never Trump lane, which 
I don't think is very big. And especially with him, he's not, you know, it's not like he's, he's no Chris Christie. You know, he's not going <laughs> to take it to Trump. Chris Christie will. Chris Christie's a New Jersey guy and he'll drop the gloves. But I don't think anybody thinks that Hutchison has the, the fight in him to really take it to Trump and to make the never Trump case. So I don't even think that in the never Trump lane, he's going to get all that much support. Um, yeah, it's not worth spending a whole lot of time on. And then there's another one that I don't get. Larry Elder. Look, Larry Elder is way more successful at talk radio. He's been way more successful at talk radio than I've ever, ever will come close to sniffing. Um, he, but he ran for governor on the recall election and was destroyed. It wasn't even close. It wasn't even, it, it was, I mean, if it were any other state, it would have been embarrassing. The margin. He is out there, but you would barely know it. Why is he running? What is his lane? Maybe to raise money, maybe to set up an organization where he can, you know, push his message. I mean, he's a strong conservative. I, I like the guy, but I don't think he's going to be a blip in this campaign. He just doesn't have, you know, again, what's a compelling reason? He got destroyed when he ran for governor of California. That's a huge mark against him. And how do you overcome that? And yeah, nobody expected make- him to win in California. It's California, but he got destroyed. It wasn't even close. It's true. I mean, look back. Schwarzenegger did win in a recall election, so it's not unprecedented. But the fact that he lost so badly, I think, is that's the big knock against him. He did really bad. Vivek Ramaswamy is a guy that, look, if he were not adopted or at least in the foster care of Fox, you would never have heard of him. He wouldn't be in this race. He bought a PR team. He's a wealthy man, and he wanted to sell his book and raise his profile, and he did. Granted, it's a, it's a triumph of marketing. But he also started a hedge fund to take on woke corporations, and, and he's taken on nothing. He's, ta- he's taken on profits. He's, he's made a lot of money at it, but I don't believe he's taken on any woke corporations or anything like that. He is very, uh, he's very well-spoken. He's a very good, he knows how to, to speak to an audience. I was at the uh, Independent Women's Forum annual gala or whatever the hell it was a few months ago where Vivek Ramaswamy won an award. Why? I don't know. Probably because he was the only person they could get to show up. Whatever the case is, it's just one of the, this is one of the things I hate about the conservative movement is that if you get enough press, they'll celebrate you. They won't look into you. They won't listen to you. They won't say, hey, where you been your whole life? It's like suddenly you're getting press. Like, oh, we'll shower you with all these things. And then in a few years, they they usually tend to disappoint you. They do it very often with young people, too. At CPAC, most years, there's some... 16 year old wunderkind like oh my goodness we've all got a line up this look at this guy is youtube videos and this that and the other thing and then by the time he's a junior in college he's a freaking socialist and the left is saying look at this guy he saw the light and we're all going oh geez uh, we'll look for the next 15 year old rather than going hey maybe we should stop elevating 15 year olds like we will find the next shameless self-promoter and elevate them and then they'll expose themselves as really only being about themselves and they go oh man we got burned this time but the next person who's a shameless self-promoter we elevate will absolutely positively be the one that doesn't let us down this time and you just keep 
lather, rinse, repeating. I don't like Vivek Ramaswamy. I like what he says. I don't believe him. I wonder where he's been. It's really easy to put together a good speech. It's really easy to deliver one. He seems more marketing than anything else. But I don't. I see a record of accomplishment for himself. I don't see a record of accomplishment for conservatism or really his fingerprints on the conservative fight until he decided that it was a pathway to raise his profile and make money. What can I add? I mean, he uh, he's a great public speaker, as you say. He really makes a great case when you listen to him go issue by issue by issue. You can tell that he studied the issues deeply. But again, what has he done? He's a businessman. I mean, when you're a businessman running in politics, it's very easy because you've never had to confront managing a budget of a state. You've never had to vote on raising the debt limit. And what's a debt limit deal? You've never had to make those tough political decisions. So you don't really have a record where people can point and say, hey, when you had to act, you didn't act. He can just say, hey, look, I'm fighting woke corporations. I'm doing all these wonderful things in the business world. Sounds great, but I don't trust him to actually follow through and do those things either. So I'm with you. Awesome. But he does give a great speech. He does. He does. Look, there's no doubt. He knows exactly the words to say and the order in which to put them. But there's nothing behind it. It's like coming across a a guy on a street corner overhearing his end of a phone conversation and going, wow, I agree with everything he just said. Like, we have no idea. I want to invest in his company. Like, you have no idea who this person is or what they do. Get calm down, prove yourself. And he hasn't because his involvement in the conservative world has been for his own financial gain. Exclusively, seemingly, at least as far as I can tell. Uh, You mentioned the debt limit. Uh, What are you they're trying to sell this thing now? Um, I look at it as look, this thing was it's. They're going to increase the debt limit. They always do. They have to. It's it's stupid kind of to have this fight. But and the deal, you get some things, you don't get others. It gives the Mike Lees and the Chip Roy's the opportunity to go around saying this isn't good enough for me. But there are enough votes otherwise that it they don't really matter. So they can go around and showboat. But is this really just all Kabuki theater? Oh yeah, it's a failure theater on the part of. Republicans, they can throw their hands up, say we tried. But the thing is, I think the problem with the debate is they started in a bad place. I mean, Republicans basically negotiated against against themselves. They came up with this deal that wasn't even all that good in the first place. Like the deal they rolled out was not that great. So of course you're going to get a bad compromise deal when you get half a loaf of half a loaf. I mean, they should have asked for more. They, you look back to 2011, the Republicans push something called cut cap and balance where you cut spending immediately you cap spending every year and you get a vote in the balanced budget amendment and they ended up getting the sequester after some negotiations this time they didn't ask for anything near that and they got they didn't they got half of what they asked for uh, i wouldn't vote for it if i was a member of congress but you know i wouldn't be that disappointed i would expect that this is the way it would have turned out that's what i figured now there are a few people back to the race there are a few people that are they're waiting to see if they're going to get in. Chris Christie is one of them. Why would Chris Christie is not going to win? He's just not going to win. It, his window closed in 2012 when he chose not to, to run. Uh, that was at, when he was at the height of his popularity. Then he had the Bridgegate scandal. 
he uh, he tarnished his image after that, and then he had a wildly unsuccessful run in 2016, and it's it's been 12 years. People need to be reminded, because not that many people watch this week with Snuffleupagus, to yeah. see Chris Christie on once a month, to go, oh, that guy. What is the... Uh, our, what role can he play? Is he just the attack dog? Because I'm not sure if he's going to attack Trump or DeSantis, or he's just going to come in like a tornado and attack everybody. I think he'll attack everybody. But I, I already used the uh, kamikaze mission uh, analogy. I think I have to use it again because he's definitely all in about blowing up Trump. I mean, his goal is to, you know, load himself up and and just blow every blow up Trump and take him out of the uh, campaign. I mean, and he wants to make his name as that. I think that his goal is to be the guy that took Trump down because he's so angry that, you know, what happened with him where he helped put together an agenda. He helped to put together the list of people to hire. And they basically took his his suggestions and tossed them in the garbage can because Jared Kushner hates him because of what happened with the family fight. So. Um, I, I think that he's just a bitter man, and his goal is to just go take Trump down, the New Jersey tough guy, taking down the New Jersey businessman, uh, and and I think his 100% goal is making maybe making a name for himself, writing a book, being on TV all the time, and being that guy who you know people can point back in the history books and say Chris Christie either took down Trump or he tried to take down Trump, and and he took himself down in the in the process. Yeah, because we all know that history books are littered with profiles of people who lost early in primaries. <laughs> There's a, another one out there that um, everybody, he's, he's, he's a lot like Tim Scott, where people just say nice things about him, good things. A good man, not an inspired leader. Former Vice President Mike Pence. Donald Trump doesn't even consider him a threat to the point that he barely ever mentions him. And when he does, it's usually about some bogus notion that he could have thrown out electoral votes and uh, overturned the election. But Mike Pence, is he getting in? Should he get in? And what would be the point? He is getting in. He shouldn't get in. And I think, you know, he's he does have a pretty good record. I mean, if you look at his record as VP, he did a pretty good job. Uh, he upheld the Trump and supported the Trump presidency. He, I mean, I, in my opinion, he did the right thing on, on, uh, on January 6th. And, and, you know, I think a lot of people disagree with that, but, you know, the constitution is a constitution, but, and that ultimately is his downfall. It's kind of, I mean, you know, the book obviously profiles and courage. I mean, the, the yeah. book that John F. Kennedy wrote about people who did brave things and usually they died. Well, Politically, he's dead. I, I just don't see him coming back from that. But, you know, he did a brave thing to stand up to Trump and do what he did. But it, ultimately, I don't understand why he would run. I just don't think he can run because he's the one candidate in the race that has a built in maybe 20 percent level of hardcore opposition. I mean, how many candidates come in where you've got 20 or 25 percent saying, I will never vote for that guy because of what he did in January 6th. He's a traitor to Trump. I mean, there are no other candidates like that that have built in people that are going to show up at his rallies, heckle him. They're going to yell at him in debates. They, he's I don't think his campaign is going to go very well. And I have a deep amount of respect for the guy. But I I I think he'll learn pretty early on this race that he does not have a chance. 
He also has the personality of Melba Toast. It's just nothing there. It's not exciting. But he looks like a president. You look at the guy. He really oh, yeah. looks presidential. He, he looks like perfect for the uh, portrait something to in go a, in from the a movie. West he looks wing. like, you know, if you're casting it, <laughs> it would be him just based on looks. Um, another candidate, you grew up in Massachusetts. You later immigrated to the United States. But uh, up near Massachusetts, Chris Sununu, governor of New Hampshire, Republican, very popular up there. Um, seems to be media popular as far as like the morning Joe crowd. If they had to, uh, if they had, if they had their way and could kill all Republicans, but they had to spare one Republican's life, they would probably pick Chris Sununu. Um, what do you make of, is there an appetite for a Northeastern Republican, a sort of moderate Republican? Nope. I don't think at all. I think the guy's got a 0.0% chance of winning anything. He is a darling of the inside the beltway types. I mean, Morning Joe loves him. All the media talking heads love having the guy on to give his opinion. But the guy, I mean, I'm not a fan at all. I mean, I I uh, never have been a fan of uh, – you look at the Sununu family as a whole. I mean, not not a great record of accomplishment from top to bottom. So I don't know why – well, no, that's not would... that's not fair. They have accomplished John Sununu, chief of staff to President George H. W. Bush. He was a governor, United States senator. Like you can't say there's no accomplishments. It's just as far as you what you would like or I would like to have happened, we didn't maybe get yeah, that his, out of him. But John Sununu Sr.'s greatest accomplishment was getting a Supreme Court justice that turned to be the biggest liberal on the court that we've seen in our lifetime. Justice Souter. I mean, he really dropped the ball on that one. That's kind of a big deal when you screw up a Supreme Court nominee. And, you know, uh, John Sununu, who uh, was a senator, beat my former boss. So I, I kind of don't like the family because of that. So I, I hold a grudge. I hold a grudge. And that grudge isn't going away anytime soon. So I'm not a fan of the Sununu family. Thanks to them, their family putting me out of work for a while. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying. Now, uh, we come to really quickly sort of a lightning round aspect of the p- people who are allegedly contemplating a run or have announced but just don't really matter. John Bolton, Trump National Security Advisor, uh, the the mustache running around, factor, non-factor. Is there still a – there used to be a huge national security lane in Republican politics, that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. Not that Republicans don't care about national security, but it is not as uh, prominent as it used to be. Um, am I allowed to use obscenities? Because I really don't like this guy. I mean, he his lane <laughs> is like the, the deep state lane. I mean, if you if you love the deep state and you're Republican, which I don't think many Republicans do, this is your guy. Like, he's perfect. He brags about assassinating foreign leaders on national TV, uh, he he constantly ridicules his former boss, which shows a lack of loyalty. I mean, he gets hired to work for Trump and then just gets out and basically writes a book trashing him. I mean, there's nothing good you can say about the guy. He's a neoconservative in a time when Republicans don't like the I They look back on the Iraq war, the Afghanistan war and say, hmm, maybe those weren't great ideas. But there is John Bolton pushing to go to war with Iran and expanding these wars. I mean, he doesn't have a lane. 
he has a lane maybe in the national security uh, voters, which are a handful of voters inside the Beltway in Washington, D.C. that work at the CIA, NSA and all those places. He's a lo- deep state loves him. Most Americans hate him. So what are you trying to say? You're indifferent? Yeah, I'm not a fan. <laughs> if he was a nominee, I would vote for uh, uh, the libertarian, whoever that is. <laughs> or I'd write in. I'd write somebody in. <laughs> write me in. Give me yeah, a, a vote. Right, Jen. Uh, another one that is sort of being kicked around is Greg Abbott of Texas um, and Ted Cruz of Texas. I suppose you could lump the two of them together. Ted Cruz has a tough. It, it, should Ted Cruz forget it right now and focus because yeah. he's got a tough reelection coming up? Yeah, he's uh, in a state that should be a lock for him. He's always going to have a tough time because he's so controversial. So I would if I was him, I'd focus on winning reelection. With Governor Abbott, I mean, Governor Abbott's had a, you know, he's been running for a while. It seems like he's been dipping his toe in the water. Him and DeSantis have been going back and forth. And, you know, the the sending buses of migrants up to, uh, you know, Washington, D.C., they're trying to outdo each other with uh, what they do. And, and so that indicates that he's got one eye in Washington, D.C. And this weird controversy with the attorney general in Texas is kind of cutting against him in one sense, because he's getting a lot of criticism from Team Trump because he doesn't have the back of the Attorney General Ken Paxton, who's been accused of a lot of not so great things and was impeached by the Texas House. So who knows how that plays out? But either way, if it's controversial, I don't think it helps him. I'm not really sure you should have the back of somebody if you're not sure whether or not they're a criminal. It's a weird thing. I get in Trump world, loyalty, uber allis, but uh, yeah, no, there comes a point where you cut bait and you go, wait a second, what? Um, <laughs> somebody, speaking of cut bait, speaking of somebody who would just be doing it, I, I can't imagine this person doing it because, I mean, the writing is on the wall. There is no support. There's no, there's nothing. You get the bulwark vote. You get the dispatch vote, and that's it. And I'm talking about Liz Cheney. Um, she's got the Cheney name. The Cheney name used to mean something in Republican politics, and she has absolutely destroyed it. She was an embarrassment. She was a tool for the Democrats throughout the January 6th committees. Um, she played right along with this, I'm going to show you just enough, and uh, I'll give you the context without actually letting you see the context. She, she's more, She's better suited to a show on MSNBC than she is even running in a Republican primary, but she's allegedly considering it. I think her problem is she's got a number of problems. First of all, she got destroyed in a primary when she was an incumbent House member, which is embarrassing. I mean, she got completely destroyed running for re-election. And I think one of the problems somebody like her has is, first of all, she's hardcore neoconservative, where there's not much of a lane for that, but also these Republicans that have kind of turned against their own ideology. I mean, I get it. There are a lot of Republicans who don't like Donald Trump. I'm fine with that. But why would you completely convert into being a gun-grabbing, pro-abortion, just liberal? I mean, you look at Joe Scarborough. He's completely changed his ideology. Nicole Wallace, ideology. Is Michael just, Steele. Michael Steele. Uh, Dave Jolly, another MSNBC contributor. And then you get to Liz Cheney. She also flipped on so many issues that matter. Of course, she's always going to be the hardcore neoconservative John Bolton Lane on foreign policy. But with everything else, she went hard left. 
she's got obviously no lane. I mean, she's got a negative lane, but I think if she gets in, it'll be for one reason. It'll be because John Bolton didn't get in and she wants to be that neoconservative to criticize Trump on foreign policy and be that voice in the debates if Trump even shows up for debates. Somebody's got to make the case to keep sending truckloads of money to Ukraine for no good reason whatsoever. Um, Just uh, I'll let you decide whether or not you want to make any disclosures, but uh, South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem is she there's less of a buzz about her getting in now, but she is still, I think, an appealing vice presidential candidate. Yes. Disclosure. I've done some work with uh, with her, but I'd say that she's a a very appealing candidate. She just I I don't think she's going to run for president, but I think she'd make a great vice president. I I'll tell anybody who listens, I think that she's definitely in the short list. I mean, when you think about who Trump will pick when he wins, if he wins, I mean, she's on the short list. I mean, you have to look at Tim Scott, maybe. Uh, you have to look at Christy Nome. She's done a great job in South Dakota. There aren't many that fit in that category of candidates that would be really good fit. Somebody who is not, you know, going to be looked upon by moderates and independents as being uh, too far to the right, like Kerry Lake or, or Marjorie Taylor Greene. I mean, those would be not great picks in my view. But if you want to appeal to independents, she's a good pick. Well, it can't be Carrie. Carrie Lake lost. It would be, I don't know if there's ever been a vice presidential nominee who was just some person in the in the private sector uh, who had failed in their attempt to get elected. Um, what about, there's you, the, the VP stakes. A lot of people would like to see DeSantis and Trump sort of get along, but they can't be on the same <laughs> ticket because they both live in Florida. Obviously, Don, Ron DeSantis can't move out of Florida. He's the governor. So Trump would have to move out of Florida. I doubt he's going to move out of Florida. So that seems like an impossibility. That leaves Christy Nome in there. Also somebody who's contemplating running. I'm not really sure why. I think I think uh, there's a lot of a lot of politicians misread their victories as being about them rather than about the moment in which they ran, you know, you, you sort of the the person, yes, but the time. And they, they mold at the same time. And, and one such person is Glenn Youngkin in Virginia. He's not a particularly rousing candidate. He doesn't really inspire a whole bunch of people to go, man, that guy, I really, I've seen him speak. He was a keynote speaker at the Heritage Foundation function we went to a couple of weeks ago for the 50th anniversary at Mount Vernon, which was awesome. But he, uh, Boring is all hell. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Uh, too long of a speech and too boring of a speech. Um, there's not a lot of appetite for him. I think he won because of the ridiculousness in the education in the time of COVID in Northern Virginia and all the leftists telling parents to go to hell and the Biden administration going after um, people who uh, spoke up at school board meetings, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know in a, in a level playing field that Glenn Youngkin wins, but I think he thinks he won rather than people voted for him because of what was going on at the time and were angry at the people who were doing it. That being said, Virginia, if Virginia could be flipped red, would be a huge victory. It's not, it's not a purple state, really. It's a blue state even with a, with a red governor. So... He's more of a veep stakes candidate than anything else. But what do you make of Glenn Youngkin? Yeah, I think he 
would be looked upon. First of all, he's playing it right. I mean, the fact that he's constantly mentioned is maybe running and he's not going to run. If he stays out of the race, I think that's good for him because what will happen is Trump will get to his shortlist and say, oh, I want to win Virginia. I want to appeal to independence. I want to have somebody on the ticket who can appeal to all of those states where I need independence. This guy's pulled it off. And his message will be, look what I did to fix the school system in my state when they were going woke. That's going to appeal to a lot of independents in Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and states that Trump needs to flip back to win. So I think he'd be a pretty good pick, too. Anybody else out there we're not thinking of or that you can think of that uh, is sniffing around or you've heard some buzz about? Not really. I mean, you've heard that the, the governor of North Dakota is thinking about running. For oh, president. yeah, that guy. I that wonder- guy's a, a rich guy. He could do it. Uh, he's got some accomplishments up there. His name is Doug Bergram or Bergum. Yeah. What What do you know about him? Nothing. And I think most Americans don't know anything about him either, which is a problem. I mean, if, if uh, when you think about Trump household name, Mike Pence household name, you've got a Chris Christie. A lot of people know who he is. You can have a lot of candidates that will jump in. That'll people, you know, Ron DeSantis is now very well known. Greg Abbott, very well known. This governor, absolutely nobody knows who he is, what he's done for North Dakota. And Honestly, why. though, if you go back to 1976, maybe it's a horrible analogy, but in the Democratic primary, nobody knew who the hell the governor of Georgia was. Nobody knew who the governor of Georgia was. And you had a bunch of powerhouses that were sort of jockeying for position. Republicans were wildly vulnerable. Nixon had just resigned. Gerald Ford was unelected to vice president and president. And so the governor of Georgia somehow emerges it's not unheard of that a nobody or a, somebody comes out of nowhere true but the world's changed quite a bit since then in the sense that we get information just poured into us from so many different sources the fact that absolutely nobody knows anything about this guy how is he going to get his name id up how is he going to compete against donald trump who's as i said earlier is basically running as an incumbent I just don't see any lane. Plus, he's, I mean, he has to beat out all these other also-ran candidates to get to the top of the also-rans so we can try and jump into the, the top tier. I just don't see any lane for the guy. Who wouldn't want to vote for the governor of Canada South? <laughs> all right. Well, I think we've uh, we've covered the field as it is now. We'll check in from time to time and, and get updates on this as it shakes out. It's it's so bizarre to be talking about this this early on, but this is where we are. Quickly, what do you make of the Democratic field? Marianne Williamson, Robert Kennedy Jr., and Joe Biden. Joe Biden, an incumbent president who has enacted a lot of the things that the radical base of the Democratic Party wants. He did it. And wildly pop, unpopular with the American people and, and damaging in, in so many ways, but what Democrats want anyway. And yet he's at like 60 percent. Even the majority of Democrats go, I don't want this guy. I'll vote for him, I guess, but I don't want this guy. What the hell's going on over there? Democrats are weird. They love to go for the candidate that's supposed to be the candidate. They did it with Hillary Clinton. They did it with John Kerry. They did it with Al Gore. It's a weird thing with them. They don't like to challenge challenge the person who's next in line. And he's obviously next in line because he's there. And I would, if I'm surprised, if I was a Democrat voter, I would want to see more jump in. I mean, Kennedy's not doing bad. And one 
In one poll, he was at 20%, which is staggering considering he jumped in recently and he's got name ID by virtue as his name, but not many people know what he's done personally. And he's got an interesting case to make. I, I, you know, I think he's a little bit out there on the VAC stuff, but you know, he's going to have, he's a, not the COVID vax, just for the record, but for all he's he's yeah, not anti COVID vax. He's anti every vax. Yeah. He believes yeah. that it causes uh, autism, et cetera, et cetera. That's right. Different. He's a little bit over the top in the vax stuff, but other than that, I mean, I I actually have listened to him speak. I think he makes a pretty solid case, and more power to him to actually stand up and run because other Democrats don't have the. Uh, testicular fortitude to actually run in, jump in and run in a time when they could probably win. If you had a halfway decent Democrat running against him in a primary, they might win. There's a good chance they could take him out. If if Joe Biden Biden falls down a flight of stairs or stumbles in public or whatever, um, Gavin Newsom get in? Oh, everybody will get in. You will see so many different candidates jump in, half the U.S. Senate. Democratic caucus will jump in. A couple House members, Democrats will jump in, and a bunch of Democratic governors. I mean, it, it'll be like we saw with Republicans in 2016. Well, that'll be fun to watch. Brian Darling, Liberty Government Affairs. Always a pleasure to talk to you, my friend. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, and hello to my one listener. And where is it? Uh, Wales, Scotland. Scot- Scotland. Sorry, Scotland. Scotland. My bad. It's been I haven't heard from her in a while, a while, so maybe. Maybe she doesn't like listen to the show. Maybe it's been too long since I've had you on. Maybe she's given up on it. I, I wouldn't blame her. I wouldn't Hello, blame her. Scotland, anyway, if you're there, that's enough for today. I say, have an awesome Wednesday. We're almost to the weekend already. That's the beauty of the four day work week. The French are on to something. I'm down with it. I'm down with it. Let's do this. Anyway, have a great one. We will talk to you soon. And thank you. 